Hello, my name is James Rath and I'm a legally blind filmmaker. Welcome to the Blind Abroad podcast. In this show, we share disability related stories, highlight champions of accessibility, and we even try to get some perspectives from around the world. In this episode, I am joined by Robin Knatzer. She's a software engineer who is focusing on app development, specifically apps that are accessible for the blind and low vision community. We'll discuss the process of making apps accessible and what benefits that has both for developers and their audiences. So I am here today with Robin Knatzer. She is a France-based engineer, software engineer, and focuses specifically on accessibility-related applications at this time. Robin, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell me real quick about how you got into software engineering. You've stated to me that you've come from another side of uh, engineering, but I want to hear that story of what kind of caught your eye about like making mobile phone apps. So like you said, I didn't start right out as a software engineer. Um, I instead, I, I rebelled a bit because my parents are both software engineers. So I chose, drum roll please, uh, industrial engineering, which is not that far. Um, so I worked for a while as an industrial engineer and it was actually uh, a bad thing turned into a good thing. I was pretty unhappy with my my job at the time. And about at that time, I saw an advertisement for a coding bootcamp for mobile development. And I never even thought about mobile development. My parents were uh, very strict growing up, and I didn't even have a smartphone until I was old enough to buy it for myself. <laughs> so it was a little out of the blue. Okay. Um but I tried the the three month boot camp and got a job at a startup in Arkansas right after, and uh, I stayed with it just because it's so cool to see how quickly things move with mobile apps. Um, for instance, uh, compared to other technologies in the computer world, I can wake up tomorrow with a really cool idea, and in just a matter of weeks, you know, with the right five all the time in the world. Uh, in a matter of weeks, my idea could be a real application downloaded from the app store on someone's phone doing like the thing that I wanted to, to do. And uh, what makes it even better is that it seems almost everyone has some sort of a, a smart device. So uh, Android or iOS, but if you make mm-hmm. an app that, that can reach a lot of people. We talk about typically with my content accessibility and, and there's a few meanings to that word, but specifically the one that breaks down barriers for people with disabilities. So for myself, in order for me to use an app, you know, a smartphone, uh, I'm, I'm legally blind. So how would I interact with a glass flat surface, right? That doesn't really have like texture to, you know, different, differentiate like the keyboard, the buttons, right? Um, so there, there's a few ways around this. Um, and, you know, whether it's, Zooming or, or a thing called a screen reader, um, you can essentially have your phone read aloud all the elements. And I mean, I can even, let's just an example here so people can hear what this sounds like. So here's voiceover. Voiceover is what is on the iPhone. It's um, allows me to essentially drag my finger uh, across any element on the screen and have it read aloud. And this works on all the core parts of the the iPhone. So navigating the operating system, Uh, same thing with Android. It's gonna do the same thing, but with TalkBack, which is Google's uh, built-in screen reader. And of course there's screen readers available for computers like JAWS and Narrator and VoiceOver on uh, macOS and a variety of things. But sticking to the phone, all I have to do is, um, so I'm getting a notification from Instagram just now. So as you can hear, I can kind of pretty much um, <laughs> hear everything that, that is going off um, on the phone. Uh, and the idea there is to make sure that when you're building an app, it's also going to work with these. Now, I know there's a little bit of a process and most developers, maybe when they're getting started, don't even realize that voiceover or things like that might even exist. So they might not even consider how would a blind person use my app or, you know, I think we, I hear that a lot, especially from developers who just have never, whether it be met a blind person or uh, been involved, but for yourself, Robin, I know you, you're working for a company called Panda Guide, which is all about making apps for people who are blind. 
what does that process of making an app accessible for blind folks look like? No pun intended. <laughs> I make so many puns like that accidentally. <laughs> but uh, no, actually, it's um, as compared to other things you have to learn as a developer, uh, the accessibility, for instance, making your app uh, readable with voiceover or um, uh, more readable, I should say, with voiceover, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. It takes a little bit of time to get up to speed with the recommendations of Apple and uh, Google if you're on Android devices. But uh, as far as I've seen, the documentation is very clear. There's a lot of good resources out there. And uh, when it comes down to it, it doesn't add that much time to your development process, um, which is always what managers are trying to cut down on. <laughs> Okay. But in theory, it's more, um, Apple does a lot by default. So even if you don't try to make your app for a blind person, a blind person may still try and use your app and mm -hmm. uh, read whatever the default settings are, which can be kind of scary. <laughs> because, so, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. Yeah, tell me about what, what could happen if a blind person uses an quote-unquote inaccessible app, but um, voiceover tries to make it accessible for, for them. Well, it could be something funny all the way to something uh, terrible. <laughs> um, so in your, in your code, as a developer, you, you name all of the things. I will name a button a certain name, like a back button or a save button, uh, something natural. But when you're just starting out as a developer, sometimes you aren't as, uh, as neat and tidy as maybe some experienced developers who have already made mistakes. So uh, like me, maybe you were frustrated one day and your boss says, I want a button right there on this screen. And so you name that button, this stupid button that my boss wants on this screen, thinking that no one is going to see it but you because it's hidden in the code. But actually, uh, that could be read by, by voiceover um, when it comes down to it. So you, James, flipping through the <laughs> app that I wrote when I was frustrated at work, uh, it could say something like, this stupid button. And you could say that what just happened there, what am I looking at on this app? <laughs> so, the, you know, next thing you know, you have a person emailing you. Um, Cause I, if anything, I, I know blind people like to send feedback for apps. Um, yes. yeah, those who are, <laughs> especially those who are enthusiastically ready to use the app and next thing, you know, it's not working the way it should. So they'll, they'll we'll happily send feedback. Um, and all of a sudden we've, we've basically exposed all the code and we've exposed all the labels and the mishaps in that. Um, and you just wonder why, how, <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's, that's an excellent point to bring up too, because so how did you in particular kind of come across accessibility development, like making your app accessible in a, in a way, because this isn't something you just like knew from that boot camp, right? This is just something that you had to become aware of and, and learn about. Correct. If, uh, yeah. It's a it's a really good question because uh, especially in a boot camp or even in a, a longer training, accessibility doesn't seem to be top of the list. It's more important to uh, focus on how to organize your code, how to work with the variables, learn the, the coding language, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to have a really good reason most of the time uh, to, to learn how to make your apps accessible as a developer. Mine was actually, I was working for a startup in Arkansas and uh, we have uh, Arkansas School for the Blind there. And okay. the company that I was working for made an app and website for them. And so as uh, I was working on building that app and uh, CEO walks in and he says, okay, this one's for the the school for the blind, so we need to make sure it's accessible. And I said, accessible what? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where to begin. So that was the uh, the prompt for, for me to dive into the documentation, figure out how it works on both platforms and make their Android and iOS uh, application readable by voiceover specifically. Panda Guide, that's an application that you're developing, right, at a startup here in France or there in France. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's a, okay. yeah. Do you mind telling me a little bit about like the mission, like what, what the, what it aims to do? 
Sure. Um, so as a company, Panda Guide's mission is to uh, help make the blind and the visually impaired more autonomous and just independent in daily in day-to-day life. So we have two main products going on right now. Uh, the first is a um, uh, the first is an iOS application that gives you turn-by-turn directions and very specific directions for the visually impaired uh, for spaces like amusement parks. So big outdoor areas where you want to go from point A to point B and um, without getting too lost, hopefully, along the way. Right. <laughs> and the, the second one, which is actually I should have put first, is uh, our main product is a, um, an obstacle detecting headset. <laughs> which okay. detects uh, obstacles and big drop-offs like a train platform or something um, that's in front of you, but outside of the radius of your cane or a guide dog. It sounds like these two apps are great companion apps together, right? Like it just yeah, kind of makes I, sense to use ideally. both. It would be great if, you know, one day if you had the, the cask detecting, uh, the headset excuse me, sorry, that was the French word, um, detecting uh, obstacles and the, the guidance telling you how to get to the next amusement park ride. You would be sitting pretty. You wouldn't have anything to worry about at Disney World. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find Panda? How, did, did you go to France and then come across it or did you move to France to work on this application? Um, how, what was the process of finding this position and in the startup? And yeah, it's a good question. So I found a job before I moved to France and was working over here at a different company. So not a Panda Guide. Okay. Uh, they ended up uh, laying off their entire digital team. So I found myself in France uh, looking for a new job. And usually at that kind of a point, I started questioning what it is that I wanted to do. There were so many opportunities. There were people looking for apps for banks, for accounting projects, for you name it, someone wanted an app for it. Uh, So I narrowed my search to something that I was familiar with. So accessibility, I was at least familiar with and Mm -hmm. something that was uh, bringing a little bit of good into the world, like making the visually impaired more independent. I saw that as really impactful and um, it definitely stood out when I was looking for jobs and it ended up being a really good fit with the people too. I imagine you have folks, not only who you work with who are blind or visually impaired, but those who come in maybe to test the app or um, if you're doing any kind of like guerrilla marketing or anything along those, along those lines. Um, with being in France, obviously it's a different kind of architecture. It's a different country um, than the US, right? Tell me a little bit about what challenges maybe you've seen as someone who isn't visually impaired or blind, but you've seen them encounter, whether it's something that the the app itself is trying to uh, help fill in that gap, um, or another problem that maybe you come across um, during all this, right? Yeah. Uh, One of the first things I noticed whenever I moved to France was that it's uh, compared to the United States, even compared to Arkansas. Uh, France is a very paper-heavy society. So anytime you want to do something administrative, you want to rent an apartment, you want to uh, find a new job, you want to uh, pay your taxes, anything remotely administrative requires, uh, I exaggerate, but requires a ream of paper in the end. You fill out by hand, you send in snail mail, to the building uh, that it needs to go to. You wait two weeks to have a paper response. Um, I cannot imagine being a blind person having to do anything administrative in France. That sounds very challenging and they always have to, they complain they have to have assistance for anything they do, which is unfortunate. So, yeah, I I know here in the States, um, yeah, a lot of private companies and, and, and places even the idea of cutting costs go digital um, with a lot of this stuff and, and for the workflow too it's just it's nearly instant when you can email or provide the forms online uh, a lot of the government stuff though is still kind of got that dated mentality um, I know you know many times um, there's just not everything's available online or fully accessible or you know, up to date yeah. with But that. to be fair, to be fair, they're getting more and more digitized every year. So I don't want to bash on the French administration too much. They're getting better, but it's still, uh, it's still a shock. 
yeah it, i mean it's it's definitely a process because there's just so many moving parts to try and digitize everything i guess at the you know at the same time but you know hopefully that's that's a faster process in, in the, moving forward um especially now with who knows like how the current state of the world is going to impact that because when you think about it it's like it's probably impacting the paper manufacturing uh, i guess maybe perhaps like you know it's i think it's just one of those things where more people are at home have to kind of be home um if you can eliminate their resources as much as possible like trying to file things or, or communicate um i think it just kind of makes sense to sort of go as digital as possible and hopefully that in the long run everything like forms the websites needed are all going to be accessible for the blind um, who are using smartphones or, or tablets or even computers um when trying to interact with these these forms because then that's a whole other barrier is like okay great you went digital but you didn't consider one of the major points to go digital right yeah so kind of going back to panda real quick it's called panda it's a bit random isn't it like can you tell me a little bit behind the idea of, of the name panda yeah sure um panda it's actually an acronym uh so it stands for personal assistant for natural daily autonomy. So just going back to the, the independence, bringing that, that independent factor. But the, the panda, it's not just a, a simple mascot. I learned this whenever I, I applied for the job. Mm -hmm. uh, pandas are actually born blind and they stay that way for, I think almost two months or something. They're extremely helpless when they're born. So mm. the, that brings in the, the blind factor and also makes for a very cool, uh, uh, stuffed animal in the office actually <laughs> do you guys have a mascot yeah like a oh yeah his name is dda <laughs> dda is this giant stuffed animal panda that sits actually right next to me in the office so sometimes nice. he just looks at you and judges you like why aren't you coding better <laughs> it's only available in france right this is a an application um with two applications of course um but one of them has this this hardware device this extra component to it um, that you purchased to, to really get the full experience of, of what Panda has to offer. Uh, when, when is this available for, for uh, blind folks in France? Uh, we started, actually, it was last week, we started our first crowdfunding campaign for, okay. the, for the headset specifically, so to detect the obstacles. Um, and so that has details, I think, in September-ish. That'll be available for delivery, if I'm not misspeaking. But it's only for, for France for the moment and a handful right. of uh, French-speaking countries like uh, Belgium and uh, Switzerland, that stuff. You mentioned this other app that you have that can work in companion with the headset. Have you done any kind of outreach, like the application, the company Panda, have they done any kind of outreach with whether it's establishments or, or public parks or museums um, to use that turn by turn app, like the, the directions app to like accessible guides in a way um, in like indoor locations? Has that been like a, an area that's been explored? Yeah, uh, very good question. Uh, we've we've stayed with the the outdoor areas, um, obviously to try and, and get into the amusement parks. But we have uh, right now, if you go to the Luxembourg Gardens in the middle of Paris, so it's a very big uh, green area, which is super cool, has a lot of history. Uh, we have uh, we have routes. We have uh, basically an amusement park inside the Luxembourg Gardens. So we go out there to test with our, our actual, um, our real testers, people who are blind or visually impaired and want to help us. And uh, um, we got there to um, make the app better and prepare for the amusement parks, but we haven't tackled the indoor areas yet. Okay. Is that an area that has, have you had any talk about going that route or just trying to tackle one thing at a time. I know there's not a whole lot of support for indoor maps at this time. Like it's, it's maybe malls and airports, but I know, I'd love to see apps that, you know, explore that further. Oh, me too. If uh, I think it's just waiting on the technology at this point, because when you see an indoor navigation that works in uh, like in an airport or something, they've had to install hardware inside their oh. building to make it okay. work, to make the, um, the signal, accurate enough to know within, you know, five, 10 feet, something like that, where exactly you are to tell you the, the right or the left. 
Um, so that's a, a big barrier. I know a lot of companies are trying to uh, to get over right now is to not have to pay for all of this expensive installation and hardware and, and uh, still have the accuracy of the turn-by-turn. That's kind of fascinating to know. I see, for me, I thought it was just about like getting the approval, being able to maybe like, have someone go in, you know, whether it's Google Maps or Apple Maps, like being able to map that out and, and you know, get all the permissions and you know, what they can share, what they can't share about the building. So that's interesting. That there's like a whole other element to it to make sure that like signal is boosted and, and the data is not being lost midway through the building. Because, you know, that's probably... I know I've gone through an airport and lost signal several times, um, especially like when you're going through customs and maybe that's like planned. Maybe that is something that uh, I think that's, yeah, that's on purpose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a shame. Um, makes sense. But okay. Um, with these accessible apps, they're both available on Android and, and, and um, iPhone, right? Oh, right now it's just iPhone, but uh, just iPhone? I'm actually about to start on the Android. <laughs> so okay. soon. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> So yeah, no, that's great. Um, is that for both apps or just just one in particular? Uh, right now, so we have the uh, we have the app that's the the guidance application. For right now, that's only on iOS. Um, okay. The the one so in the future that will talk to the headset detecting obstacles. But uh, the other application that I didn't really talk about was the there's a companion one that uh, does a lot of the settings and uh, connects directly with the headset. So that one's going to be definitely in uh, iOS and Android because you can buy the headset no matter what kind of phone you have. So speaking of Apple iPhone apps, how much do you pay attention to, I guess, WWDC? Are you familiar with um, the Worldwide Developers Conference? Does Panda have any kind of um, involvement or ever attended? I know it's a you know it's meant to be sort of this global effort, but everyone kind of goes to San Jose uh, usually every year. Yeah, it's a long flight from here, but as yeah. far as I know, we haven't participated. We, I know in the past, uh, before I got there, they've, they worked with Apple um, because we're, we're heavily invested in Apple products um, because mm-hmm. the market is, um, but no, I don't think we've gone to the, the conference. Me, I've gone the last couple of years and there's a huge presence for accessibility. There's a lot of um, push, a lot of sessions, like workshops to to help improve the accessibility of uh, the apps and also detailing the new features that are coming out um there's even like an accessibility mixer which is really cool where like people who have accessible apps can like can showcase that and like meet other developers or attendees or guests and work directly with apple engineers um in the accessibility team there so it's, it's a really cool experience for those who like champion that area of development because there's so much that's offered throughout the week and it's like, it's a day-to-day thing. It's not just like one day where, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll have an accessibility morning of things and it's never touched on again. No, like it, it, especially last year, it was front and center with Apple's reveal of voice control, which is um, really cool. It's, it's a way to control a Mac, iPad, iPhone with just your voice, like telling Siri to turn it on and make sure I don't say, Hey, Siri because she'll go off if I, (laughs) that'll start everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. And there's like six devices around me that are just ready to hear it yeah it's it's such a cool experience and i i mean i recommend it to anyone to partake now the interesting thing this year is with the global pandemic that we've kind of talked about a little bit wwdc is not happening the way it always has right it's not taking place with the five thousand developers that are welcome to in the press to come join in one room get the keynote get sessions and everything it's a great experience when it happens but um, I think the interesting and cool thing is this year, it's all online. So developers wor- worldwide can actually partake in it. And this is happening from, I think it's June 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, June 22nd to Friday, June 26th. Yeah, any developers that are listening to this, highly recommend you like check it out because it's it's free. That's the thing this year is like just using your Apple developer account. Everything should be available online to like check out. As someone who goes as a guest, I'm usually with all the press people. Um, and... Like, oh gosh, even behind me, I think it was last year, I was 13. That had dark mode, right? I think that was the dark mm, mode year. I think so. I think that was 13. Yeah. So I've always used invert colors um, to some extent, and there's smart invert as well, which was pretty much dark mode before dark mode. It, it pretty much accomplished the same thing. But there's a guy who was sitting behind me, 
and I think he was with Bloomberg or um, or he was like one of the major like publications, but did the tech column. And he taps on my shoulder and he's like, how the hell did you get that? He looks at my iPad and sees that it's like inverted um, or dark mode yeah. essentially. And I'm just like, oh no, this has been here. It's been on your phone for the last three years. And forever. <laughs> I, I, know, I know they're planning to announce something today, of course, because it's been rumored. But no, just check the accessibility and, and you'll finally, you know, it, it, it's it's like one of my, my favorite things, I guess, with that story is that like a lot of these accessibility features can pretty much benefit anyone, right? And and there's an interest. It's just when they're sometimes buried under the accessibility, people don't find them or look, you know, because it, it can be an intimidating area, right? You tap on accessibility. The first thing that's there is voiceover. You accidentally tapped on and that is scary. Next thing you know, <laughs> next thing you know, you get, you're probably driving to the Apple store to like have them turn this thing off and make the yeah. whole trip of it. It keeps um, talking to me. Make it stop. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, maybe if you stop to listen to like what it's saying, <laughs> maybe you yeah. can know to just say double tap to turn it off. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think one of the, the things like when you search up on YouTube, one of the things when you type in like iPhone voiceover, the first thing is how to turn off. And I'm like, I know it's not blind people looking that up. Um, yeah, not at all. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, so with that, I mean, for one, I recommend anyone who's in the developer space or even the tech space, just check out WWDC this year. It's again, pretty much free um, for anyone to participate in. Normally it's like, it's only like 5,000 developers who like win a lottery essentially and get the opportunity to then buy a ticket and then go. Um, so it's really, I think, it's definitely worthwhile, especially if you're a student developer. Um, some of the kids who I met last year, I say kids, but like 18, 17, 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's a um, kid. <laughs> but they are they were working on some really cool accessibility apps. There's a, this one guy, um, and I did a whole video about these guys and, and um, highlighting their apps, but one was visually impaired and he was actually emulating different visual conditions um, through his app. So he was using the phone's camera and then putting filters on top. And it was meant to simulate, to show people like, what it looks like if you, um, you know, experience vision loss, what it looks like if you're like have cataracts or, um, you know, all these. So I think it's, it's such a useful tool because it's, it's like, if you are developing say a game or, or an application, you then use this other visually impaired developers application to see what your app looks like as a, you know, person with a vision loss, which is really cool. And just all these different scenarios, like what colors wouldn't really work for certain people um there's just God, there's so much that happens there and it's, it's really cool uh but kind of coming back what i wanted to ask was um for yourself have you found yourself using especially learning a lot more about this space have you found yourself using any accessibility features yourself um and if so what have you found to be the most useful for sure uh the more that i learn the more that i can see that me as a as a sighted person uh, just with glasses, so not really bad vision. But uh, no, I use um, I use pretty often the uh, the setting to enlarge the text whenever I want mm -hmm. to take off my glasses and still use my phone. Yeah, <laughs> it, that that makes things easier. And then um, I also use Voiceover for the Kindle application, which is really cool. If uh, if you haven't, well, I mean, you have tried that, but if anyone out there listening hasn't tried it, um, it essentially makes an audiobook out of your, your Kindle book that you have on your phone. Nice. So you don't have to look at the phone. If there's not an audio copy on Audible, it's not a problem. You can still make yeah. it an audiobook. I think one of the coolest things too about that is because voiceover is sort of this whole other design language. It's like, you, you kind of have to learn how to use your phone all over again. It's not too difficult to kind of grasp the um, basics of voiceover. I'm spending like 10 minutes just sort of practicing it, but there are lighter versions of voiceover in a way. It's called like speech selection and speak screen. And what you can do with these is essentially like just have text read aloud. So um, I think with speak screen might be the most like easiest for something like an ebook where you can just take two fingers and you swipe down from the bottom or from, from the top to the bottom of the screen. And it'll come up with a new thing called the, the speech controller and you can pause it. You can skip to the next paragraph. You can um, speed it up, slow it down. 
it's really cool. And you can change um, what it highlights. So you can have it highlight uh, sentences and words. You can have it underline the words. You can have it be different colors. It's what this like feature was for essentially people who are vision impaired, but then like expanded for those who may have cognitive disabilities. So those who have ADHD or dyslexia, it, it's perfect for those who maybe just have, who just need that extra visual aid when when reading something. Um, so I think it's, that's that's really like something I highly recommend people just explore. And then you can even tell Siri, you can say to Siri, speak screen, and she will start reading that out or he, if depending on your voice. Yeah, it's, it's um, a really neat tool that I recommend people using so they don't have to accidentally get their phone stuck on voiceover. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the, the large text thing, another tip that I kind of have for folks um, too, is that you can, the one thing I've noticed is not every app supports it. And, and some apps that you feel like should be like, Championing dynamic type, I think is what the developer term is. Um, yeah, that's where, it. yeah, you enlarge or um, you, depending on how much room you have, of course, in screen real estate. But say I'm like at what, like, uh, I don't even know if there's different levels, but the, from the third largest, right? When I open up certain applications, so it works in messages, works in like my phone app, works in all the Apple stock apps, right? But then uh, I go into something like Facebook. And it, it's capped or same thing with Instagram. It just gets capped at a certain point, uh, Twitter as well. So it, it makes it a little harder to use certain apps that are like suddenly they, they cap off at a certain point, like certain large text. And, and usually it's not even large. Um, I struggle with a lot of apps because of that. So then I'm always switching back to voiceover um, for that very reason. There is a cool tool in the control center of your phone. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Maybe, maybe you are. Um, but you can set a shortcut for um, for dynamic type or, or large text. And on the spot, you can actually change going from like small text to large text, no matter what application you're in. And it tries to like respring the application in the moment to just like fit that, you know, if it supports it. So it's actually pretty cool. So in some scenarios, if like I'm trying to use it and then I go into an application and it just cuts it off or it just doesn't work correct, uh, correctly, I can then lower the text size again and kind of fix it on the spot and you know go back and forth so this is all done through the control center the whole like ebook thing i think is amazing and it just um it it allows for anyone to suddenly have access to like an audiobook and it, again just one of those universal benefits and not to put any voice actors out of work but you know <laughs> for those who haven't been able to to read a specific book um I think it's super, super beneficial. Oh yeah, it was even beneficial for uh, being over here in France. It's a completely unrelated topic, but uh, I speak like a child in French at work. Mm. And sometimes <laughs> I need to, to listen to people and see the, the words written out as well. So you can change yeah. voiceover to a different language, have it read a book in French. And it's just like story time for kids. I can sit there and listen to an adult book. Uh, you know, I don't know, something not as story time, story time book, um, but yeah. something I actually want to read in French. And I can kind of train my ear a little bit with a foreign language. There was a time when I was like, just trying to learn a little bit of Japanese and stuff. And I'm still stuck with what I learned. I, I've since like, just kind of, it was like a New Year's resolution I did for like four months, right? Um, That's good for a New Year's so resolution. I, that's true. Yeah, I know. I'm, I've been pretty good about keeping them for a bit and then eventually just kind of dropping but I would actually switch my voice over to Japanese because then I could cognitively like learn what you know the mail messages what that all means or, or translates to um so that was interesting and then I even have a keyboard available so I could like switch to it so it was like that's a great point too of like how accessibility can help with like learning a different language um wow I know like I just feel like the list of things is kind of endless when you keep thinking of like how this stuff is beneficial um but kind of going back to like i guess maybe the core audience for accessibility right which is the the disabled community whether this was at panda or prior work when working to make apps accessible have you been surprised by anything like has anything about the disabled community kind of taken you back for a moment like it could be in some positive or, or negative like what have you kind of learned that maybe you didn't know growing up or not being so much involved with with uh, that community. Uh, actually, I was uh, surprised pretty recently uh, over here in, in France. We have a community developer here at Panda who is uh, 
blind. So he's a really good reference to speak for the community and uh, tell us if we're getting too, as a technical team, if we're getting too obsessed with the wrong thing. And uh, he's told us, the, the tech team, multiple times, uh, quit trying to be a perfectionist with the mm -hmm. code quit being an app snob <laughs> of quality because actually the the blind community and I guess the, the disability community in general, the expectations for the quality of the accessibility specifically in an application or in a website even, it's very, very low. So you don't need to spend, especially in a startup when you don't have a lot of time, don't spend hours and hours and hours making it absolutely perfect. Um, what you what you've done right now is better than what exists out there and unfortunately that the community will be happy with that with that that small incremental change and for me that's that's just kind of sad because like i said i am an app snob being in the industry i like to see apps of of high quality and when i download a new one i i expect perfection and i'm disappointed sure. when i see bugs uh but I, I know that not all people are like that that just comes with the with the job I yeah guess. it was I I think that's it it is kind of a reality um as a blind person I when I'm using a new application I typically I typically just don't have voiceover turned on right away so I just don't expect it to work so I try to see like what what can I see what can I navigate with just zoom and and large text sometimes it works sometimes it just doesn't and there are times when my eyes are just not um cannot go full like 100 of you know the even though what is 100 for a legally blind person anyway it's it's never that but uh yeah it, so I, I don't even know what the gosh if i remember correctly i i'll have to double check this um there's a statistic somewhere where i think it was well over 90 percent of the apps in the app store were not accessible um that is most likely the case and it's probably something close to like 98 or 99 um which is kind of unfortunate so like it makes sense of the expectations there and again i gotta find this statistic and, and uh i don't have it in front of me unfortunately but um that doesn't it would make shock sense. me if it's if it's yeah. that high yeah exactly and and again that's why i love like when things like wwdc happen because a lot of developers want to just be a part of the community they just want to sort of learn about the new features coming out for these um uh, platforms that they work on uh but then next thing they know hopefully they learn something new um take something else away and, and maybe realize that there's areas of their app that they can um, kind of approve upon and it's like it's not that accessibility is even um and this is cool because i can kind of reference france here but when i was in france and Cannes um back in 2019 wow that feels so long ago. I don't know why. I'm like, yeah, I'm sitting there. I'm like, year. was this four years ago? No, it was last year. It was literally it feels like four year years. From, yeah. No, it was in June of, of last year. I, I uh, gosh, this last couple months, it felt like a year. Um, so my last podcast, I had my friend Lolo, um, Lauren Spencer, who she went with, went with me to France along with like a couple of, um, the team that we we worked on a commercial campaign for Tom Hilfiger. She starred. She was my my lead. Uh, fantastic. She's a model who is a physical, um, who, who has a physical dis disability. And so she, navigating a place like France in a power chair was completely like different from like how I'm navigating it with um with a cane. And some parts worked for her, especially like the the streets that were basically like a sidewalk in a sense, like um, the back streets of Cannes. But uh, of course, like a lot of the place isn't accessible in all aspects especially the buildings right because next thing you know is like your hotel has a one little step to get into and it's like wait wait you told me you told me there's an elevator and it's accessible and then you can't even get into the building right so that's um that's i think that's one issue she kind of ran into her first time going to france and yeah i can totally see that there's uh, it's it seems like a, a war zone out there on the streets of paris with like <laughs> obstacles here tiny sidewalks people everywhere like i can see and i'm not comfortable walking on the yeah on the sidewalks most days <laughs> so while we were there though we were there for the can lions um advertising festival and i think it's become the advertising international or international festivals of advertising it changed the name last year and it's it's i don't know why it feels redundant but anyway um we learned that there's a six trillion dollar 
market for people with disabilities. And when, when you're thinking about apps, how easy it is to go about making something access, accessible. Again, it might take a little bit more time, but again, as you learn that, it just becomes a part of the workflow, I feel like. Um, yeah, you're kind of exactly just, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's much like for me making a video accessible, right? It's like there's a few things I can do about being more descriptive of whatever I'm trying to show. Um, now, YouTube is going to be a little bit of a different ballgame than like a documentary. Like my my last documentary all, that was all about travel um, and also accessible, an accessible app, which is kind of cool. Um, a couple of them. And I'm, I have professional audio descriptions available for that, which is like a whole other kind of like, but, but how do I release that is like a whole nother thing um, because YouTube doesn't support audio descriptions. And if I try to re-upload the same video twice, they count it as spam. Even it's, it's in my channel then gets hit with like, it, it's all these things. So navigating that's interesting, but for an app, it, it, I think it just kind of makes sense for the market too. It's like, what do you, what's the goal of an app? right? It's to make money. It's to, it's to um, provide a service or, or um, you know, some sort of content and build up some sort of revenue. And the more people who have access to that, you know, it, it, I feel like it's cheaper to write a label than it is to build a ramp, even though you should do both. Um, right. <laughs> so like, yeah, it just, it just makes sense why, how it just, I'm still surprised that there's like well over probably 95% of the apps available aren't accessible. That actually doesn't surprise me too much. Just knowing the, what the atmosphere is like inside sure. a development team, because no matter what kind of team you're on, there's pressure from your, your manager, your boss, whoever's above you to get yeah. this task done quickly or in by this deadline, go, 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 um, get it done. And Pretty often I see people assume that accessibility doesn't have a big enough return on investment because they don't see that market that they're missing. Right. So they say, don't spend time on it, do these other tasks. And that's really Yeah, sad. and I feel like I feel like there's just a lack of awareness when it comes to that. Cause like again, like one in seven people worldwide is the current statistic. There's a billion people with a disability. Um, and there's just a few little check marks you just have to sort of fill off and that's thing you know like whether it's a longtime user of your app who eventually has to like adapt in a different way down the line in their life or for an already existing community and the thing is that's kind of important to know is like if an app is accessible especially like these days the word gets out the word around the community like people share that the the blind with social media and everything um and forums like the blind community is so connected that like, I think it's just important for developers not only to be involved in like chat and, and reach out to, to people to whether it's just even test or even consult. Of course, like if you're going full on consulting, pay for their time, pay for their um, experience and stuff um, and expertise. But, you know, even just like some small focus groups and, and testing can go a long way, I feel like, because uh, especially if you have a continuous revenue stream, whether it's like in-app purchases, like that can go a long way. If you, if you have like disabled people are loyal to what's to what works with them for them right so they're going to pay for services or features for a long time and then again that's a six trillion dollar market you know this is coming straight from the can lions um festival so marketers advertisers are saying that so yeah uh, i think it if your apps aren't accessible for those listening for any developers um definitely figure out how to go about that it, what are some resources that you're aware of i mean let's let's try to spotlight on that maybe i know obviously like developer.apple.com and there's um google's developer site which don't maybe you know off the top of your head um i haven't explored that too much but like i know they they have their own little resources but are you familiar with anything off the top of your head yeah um well uh like most developers you can start off with a quick google search and say how to make my app accessible and what you're going to find is uh the apple documentation the google documentation kind of bubbles to the top but then also there's some talks from, I believe from the, the conference you were talking about before from Apple on mm -hmm. that go into extreme detail on how to go through and uh, do some quick wins to make your, your app more accessible for voiceover and also explains why and explains the market and all of that, like why you should be spending time on it. 
in case you yeah. aren't already convinced. Uh, but no, there's blogs on blogs on videos on videos that I feel like uh, maybe it's just because I'm becoming more aware and involved in accessibility, but it seems to be building momentum at least a little bit with the amount of content online. I So I just looked up on Google the exact phrase, how to make my app accessible. And um, Google has this many results. About 1,720,000,000 results, 0.47 seconds. So within... Yeah, less than half a second Google found <laughs> nearly 2 billion results. There's going to be some quality content there um, to, yes. <laughs> to knowledge and, and, and resources. Uh, Google's amazing. What a, what a resource that we have here. There's a place called AppleViz, appleviz.com. And this is a where a lot of blind, low vision Apple users go to like share accessible apps, to um, talk about what apps aren't working, and even just to report on bugs that even Apple has. Cause again, Apple doesn't always get it right. Google doesn't always get it right. Um, and that's okay. Again, like I know we talk about a lot of developers love perfection and, 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 but I think even in speaking as a blind user, you can't expect perfection. You can't expect there to not be bugs with voiceover. So what, what I recommend is don't just release the, the accessible update just because there's a few quirks, make sure it's usable and, and you can navigate it and it works. But, there's there's a few quirks here and there. I'm like, that's fine. People can report that back to you if you didn't find them yourself, um, and just be open to like, yeah, listening and, and um, maybe even like, a blind person might send feedback of like, this could be labeled better, or, or you know, I'm sure that that happens. If someone who is blind or um, has a disability were to visit France, you've been there for quite some time now, and maybe even in companion with this uh, outdoor navigation application that, that Pan has been working on. Where would you recommend someone visit, um, check out? A place that is accessible, of course. Yeah, the, the first thing I, I can think of is the Luxembourg Gardens, um, just because we use that as our, our testing ground, our little <laughs> fake amusement park. And um, it is very accessible. We've uh, uh, laid out some attractions that you can go to, you know, uh, a bunch of historical statues and such. Um, but no, it's a beautiful green space in the middle of Paris uh, with a lot of history. You can be guided along uh, the portion that is accessible um, mm -hmm. of the park and even learn a little bit about the statues as you pass by. So if, if someone wanted to download that app, say they were visiting France, they would need obviously an app store account that is French-based, which is no problem. You can easily make that. Still keep your primary Apple ID, I believe, and then just the iTunes or the App Store site, you can sign out and sign back into a French-based account. Um, what What's the name of the app if they were to look it up? It's the same name as the company, so Panda Guide, and okay. you'll be able to find it. Easy. Perfect. Um, well, cool. I mean, tell me a little bit, just lastly, what would you like to say to any developers who are maybe, who haven't made their app accessible yet, or thinking are on the fence, or just wondering if it is worth the time and investment? As someone who, you know, blind people can shout from the tops of buildings to, to do it for a long time. But for someone who has sort of gone into this route in their career and, and has learned as much as they can um, to this point, what do you have to share about that, like that experience? I think I would say um, in general, take the time to educate yourself because uh, when you build an app for the general public, not specifically to include the disabled community, sometimes you can brush off an error or a bug, like it's, oh, it's just one little thing. This font size is just a little bit different than over there, but it's okay. No one will notice. It's no big deal. Um, we have to meet the deadline, but the attitude, it's, it has different effects for people that are using uh, some sort of tool, um, a disability tool like voiceover for reading things. And I can give a very specific example. We were in the, the Luxembourg Gardens the other day testing the app and I made a change really quick before in the code thinking nothing of it. We go to there, I hand over my phone with the app to uh, our community manager, the, uh, the man who's blind, to test it, go take it for a stroll. And uh, he couldn't use it at all because when you turned on voiceover, it just kept repeating the next instruction like turn right, turn right, turn right. And it completely blocked the application. So something as simple as um, the, the base of the issue was I was refreshing data too often. And with each refresh, voiceover thought, oh, this is new. Let me reread. 
which to a sighted person, I didn't see a problem with it. It was only like in using it out there, I saw this problem. So I learned very quickly that uh, long story short, what could be a small issue for uh, your, your average user, I guess, could be a showstopper in your application for someone using a disability tool. So it's, it's important to take the time and, and study it a little bit. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think like you share a lot of insight, especially around this time when I think I know June is, is a time with WWDC and Google IO around like um, a few months back, a lot of developers are taking a time to like want to learn something new to motivate themselves to, to get into a new area of development. And I hope that accessibility is definitely one that they are engrossing themselves with because it's, it's um, I think so many long-term benefits. And I mean, even to some degree, like coding itself is accessible. It's, it's something that I know blind people who code and, and engineer, even at companies like Apple and Google, it's again, like if, if even a developer themselves probably would like to use their app too, if they experience vision loss, right? I say the same thing too, as a filmmaker, it's like, I would want to make sure that my content is accessible for myself if I ever, whether I had hearing loss or my vision just decides to go all together. It's like, I could still go back and, and enjoy that content and know what I was visually referencing, right? In that video. Um, so that's that's something I think that's just kind of important to developers. You would probably want to make sure that it's going to be ready for you one day if, if life has to change or adapt in some way. Uh, as scary as that can be, but the best I think thing you can do is be prepared and know as much knowledge as possible on accessibility and, and even just try to get the most benefits out of it now uh, that you can because it's got universal benefits for everyone. So Robin, where can people follow your work? Uh, are you active on social media, um, your website? Yeah, I think I'm most active on Twitter these days. So it's, uh, you can find me, we can share the, the link in the um, podcast notes, but it's at Robin Knatzer if you feel, if you dare to spell my last name. <laughs> of course it's K-A-N-A-T-Z-A-R. Right. Exactly. It's not the easiest last name, but uh, yeah, I'm out there. You can, uh, I'll post uh, mainly stuff about about career and, uh, you know, some good puns now and then if you're into puns. Sure Always. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to visit blindabroad.com and follow Blind Abroad on social media, such as Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow myself at James Rath, J-A-M-E-S-R-A-T-H on Twitter, Instagram, and youtube.com forward slash James Rath. Special thanks to Robin for being on the podcast at Robin Knatzer on Twitter. We will hear you next time.